Alrighty, good morning again. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Chapin Jones. I am the Seals Grove Church Planner, and it's just my joy to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I go ahead and invite you to turn to the book of Mark. The book of Mark will be in chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. The Gospel of Mark. About three-fourths of the way through your Bible. As you put in there, I want to tell the story of a hymn. The hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is considered maybe one of the sweetest hymns ever to be written. But with each line of that hymn, there is a steep and rich story to be found. It's a story of an outcast, a wretch, but a story of God's grace, love, and mercy. John Newton, in 1725, he was born in London. He was born to a very godly mother who loved the Lord, but his dad is a different story. He was a sailor and didn't really give a time of day for God. Sadly, when Newton was only six years old, his mom would pass away, pretty much leaving Newton on his own, defending for himself. When Newton became 18, he decided to follow in his father's footsteps and became a sailor to indulge in the life of what being on the seas would bring. When John was about 20, after being a sailor for a couple years, let's just say he didn't get along too well with his crewmates. They were sailing on the west coast of Africa, and his crewmates thought it would be good to kick him off the boat there where he would actually become a slave to a group of people. While Newton was a slave, he was actually treated extremely cruelly, very poorly, so, so bad that other slaves would try to sneak and ration Newton some food. It, it was about a year later, and then Newton saw a pillar of smoke coming from the coast. And by God's grace, it was another ship that had anchored down. And to even further grace of the Lord here, the captain of this ship knew John Newton's father. So this captain freed Newton from slavery, brought him upon this ship. Well, a few later, after Newton was free, he himself, ironically, would become a captain. But he would become a captain of a slave trading ship. Well, on one night, this violent storm came. Newton was fast asleep. Water started filling his boat. The wind started rocking the boat to and fro. And then Newton gets up on deck. And as death was imminent, in Newton's eyes, he prayed. Those roots that his godly mother planted all those years ago finally began to sprout on that stormy night. He prayed knowing that he needed God's grace and mercy. So, later on in Newton's life, he began to feel convicted about his involvement in the slave trade. And he actually joined a group of abolitionists to end the slave trade once and for all. He became a minister of the gospel to the Church of England. He became a hymn writer where we all know that sweet hymn, Amazing Grace. 
As that hymn goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Those were the words of a filthy sailor, a slave in bondage, a captain of a slave trading ship, the words of an outcast, the words of a wretch, but yet the words of the steadfast love and grace of God. What makes Amazing Grace and that hymn so timeless is that when we sing those words, as we just quoted, we find our own story hidden in those lines. That, that despite our sinfulness, despite our filthiness, despite our wretchedness, Christ left the glories of heaven to pursue us. So as we go through our passage this morning, may our hearts be softened to the pursuing love of Christ. For the main point that we'll see this morning is this. The filthy are made clean by the perfect love of Christ. The filthy are made clean by the perfect love of Christ. So with that being said, I want to invite you, will you stand with me as we read Mark 1 together, Mark 1, 35 to 45, and we stand to hear from the word of the Lord this morning in honor and respect of him speaking to us. So Mark 1, 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was in a desolate place, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Church, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people say, Praise be to God. Make us see So, this morning we are continuing our series in the book of Mark. Uh, I had the privilege when I preached to go through the Gospel of Mark with you. And the reason why we are in the book of Mark is for us to capture this big picture this picture that Jesus is the true king, that he is the rightful king of our heart, mind, and soul, and everything about our lives should point to the kingship of Jesus. But there's an issue, because the reality is 
We don't like other people's authority. We like our own authority. We like our own desires. We like to be our own king or our own queen. We like to rule our own kingdom instead of someone else's telling us how we shall live. But as Mark goes through his gospel, what he wants us to see is that the most life-giving thing for us is to submit to the kingship of Jesus. To joyfully live the life that he has called us to live and to do. And actually in our passage this morning, Mark is going to really paint this paradox of a king. You know, typically when we think of a king, we think of gold and jewels, the finest food and clothes. But in this paradoxical passage, what we see is that Jesus is not coming to some ivory palace to come sit on a throne, but yet he is going to the outcast, to the people that society has forgotten, and he will spend time with them. But what Jesus will do, he will actually show us that there is a preparation, a preparation for his own heart as he does his ministry. So let's look at that together in our first point. Point one, Jesus prepares his heart. Jesus prepares his heart. So our passage this morning starts off in verse 35, so look at that with me. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. So just to give a little bit of context, it's been a little bit since I have preached Mark to you. The day before, in chapter 1, was a jam-packed day in the life of Jesus. A lot of ministry happened that day. It's actually the very first full day that uh, of ministry was recorded in Mark. In that day, Jesus went to the synagogue. He taught with great authority. A man possessed by a demon came in. He casted out that demon. After being in the synagogue, he went to his disciple Simon's house, the fisherman. There he healed Simon's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. And then word started getting around. Man, there's this guy that's casting out demons, a guy who's teaching with great authority. So these crowds started flooding the fisherman's house. And it says that he healed many that night and casted out many demons. I think it's safe to say that day was a busy day of ministry for Jesus. I think after a long and busy day uh, such as this, um, I know for me, uh, I would be tempted to say, you know what I want to do is kind of sleep in a little bit. Uh, like after a long day, it's easy to convince yourself, you know what you need? You need some more me time. You, you, you need to hit snooze a couple extra times. Like we all been there, right? And I'm not saying naps or sleeping in is a bad thing. But there's something about rest and being refreshed that Jesus is going to show us here. Let's look at verse 35. So Jesus rises early in the morning while it was still dark. And he goes to a desolate place. And here it is. And there he prayed. Jesus prayed. Jesus saw the necessity of solitude in prayer so that he could be with his father. Before the hustle and bustle of life began, Jesus saw that for him to do ministry and for us to him to do the things that the Father has called him to do, he needed to pray. 
James Edward, in his commentary, says it this way. I just love how he says it. Jesus does not promote an agenda, but derives a ministry from a relationship with the Father. See, by Jesus waking up early, withdrawing from society to go pray, Jesus knows for him to be refreshed and renewed, he needed to do that with his Father through prayer. And that is such an important question for us to ask. Are we ourselves taking time in the morning to be refreshed and renewed in prayer? There's something sweet to the fact of waking up before the responsibilities of life kicks in, before you know you have to clock in for work, to take time to be refreshed and renewed, to prepare your heart and take time to pray, just as Jesus did. So Jesus is praying, he's finding rest, he found a quiet place in a desolate area, but look at what happens next. Verse 36 and 37. And Simon and those, his disciples, were with him, searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Now here, the disciples are a bit confused. They woke up that morning. Maybe they were the ones that slept in a little bit. And they woke up and they didn't go to find Jesus. Jesus was gone. Where's Jesus? See, yesterday was a jam-packed day of ministry. The crowd has gathered. There's people around. It's time to do ministry. It's time to get work done. But yet, where's Jesus? There's a little bit of irritation here when Simon says, everyone is looking for you. Why are you in this desolate place? Jesus, there's much to do. That statement from his disciples just shows that they have yet to fully grasp the mission of Jesus. Thankfully for us, Jesus has kind of already laid down that foundation of Jesus' ministry. Uh, look at verse 15 with me in chapter 1. This is just a pinnacle verse throughout the whole Gospel of Mark. If you want to know what the mission of Jesus is, Mark 1.15 the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that's the mission of Jesus. This is important because Jesus is not here on earth just to do mighty and miraculous miracles and healings and to cast out demons. The mission of Jesus is the proclamation of the gospel. It is the message that, that demands a response to repent and believe. Just like the disciples, there, there's roadblocks that keeps us from understanding or seeing the mission of God. I want to just kind of name one that's kind of here in the text, because you, you see this tension with the disciples. You know, the first day of ministry was a success. A lot of people, you know, you capitalize on momentum, right? Like if you're, if you're in a business, like you want to capitalize on these things. They feel the tension of the busyness. And I think that is a, a common roadblock as we think about being part of the mission of God. It's like, well, my life's too busy. My life is too chaotic. 
The disciples, they forgot the true mission. They allowed the busyness of the opportunities to trump the mission of God. So a question for us this morning says, are we truly busy people? Or do we fill our schedule that gives us an appearance of being busy? That ultimately keeps us from the mission of God. Martin Luther, he's the guy that catalyzed the Protestant Reformation. Actually, tomorrow, Monday, is Reformation Day. It's the anniversary, almost 505 years ago, uh, Martin Luther uh, started this Reformation. He says this. A friend came to him, and he's like, hey, Luther, what do you got going on tomorrow? This is Luther's response. Quite profound. Luther replied to his friend. He says, I'm going to work. I'm going to work from the early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. He goes on to say, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business. I cannot go without spending three hours daily in prayer. The, the point of Luther's quote here is not to guilt trip us into praying longer. The point of what Luther's saying here is that for us to be refreshed and renewed in the busyness and the chaotic life, to stay on mission for God, it begins with prayer. And a lot of it. So Jesus' response to his frustrated disciples is, is genius. Of course, it's Jesus. Verse 38. And he said to them, Okay, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. And here it is. For that is why I came out. Jesus here is just is pointing his disciples back to the mission. Notice in verse 38 the, the, the action that Jesus is highlighting here at the end. I'm going to preach. For that is why I came. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Going on to verse 39, he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It's as if Jesus is saying, like, yes, I will demonstrate my power. I will touch those who are sick. I will care for the needy in the community. I will help those free, be free who are in bondage. But I'm not strictly a miracle worker or some spiritual guru. I'm here to be the Savior. Not here just to physically heal, but to spiritually heal. Heal the lost, brokenhearted. So Jesus is essentially saying, so, so yes, we are going to the next town, and then the next one, and the next one. But don't forget the mission it is to preach a message of repentance and faith. As we think about us as a church... Jesus didn't look over the physical need of the communities, of these towns. We go through miracle after miracle, a plethora of just God-honoring, God-glorifying miracles take place. But notice it didn't stop there. So as we think about our own context here in Sunbury, Nori, Seelands Grove, it doesn't take long to see the clear physical needs of our communities, the clear needs to help those that we live with. We're in rural Pennsylvania. It just doesn't get much prettier, right? Like, 
Like, there is clear needs in our community. So as a church, as we think about serving and helping our community, we want to ask the questions, how can we be compassionate? Yes and amen. We want to ask the questions, how can we be merciful? Yes and amen. But we must not forget the gospel. If we want to see rural PA transform, it begins with the transforming power of the gospel to preach the good news. And then let's meet the physical needs of our community. First, feed them the spiritual bread and then give them the physical bread. For that is the mission of Jesus. So we must follow Jesus' example to be tempting to be like the disciples here, just be focused on all that we have to do, all that we have to get done. But let's slow down. Let's prepare our hearts for ministry. Let's be refreshed and renewed in the Father and pray our hearts so that we may be ready for the mission of God. Because you really just don't know who you'll run into today. You really don't know who you'll run into tomorrow. And that's exactly what we'll see next. Point two, Jesus cleanses those who believe. What makes the Gospel of Mark, so, for me at least, uh, so fun to read, is the fast-paced nature of the Gospel. Uh, Mark just goes from story to story of story of Jesus doing kingdom-advancing, God-glorifying work. So, the disciples... Jesus just got done praying. He's entering to town after town after town to, to preach the gospel. And then kind of out of nowhere, Mark inserts a person. He inserts an unlikely interaction. Jesus and a leper. So look at verse 40 with me. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will... You can make me clean. Now, now first, let's, let's clear some things here. This interaction between Jesus and the leper should have never happened, first off. The lepers are outcasts. They are deplorable. No one wanted to be around you. Uh, by, by God's grace, we live in a time of modern technology and modern medicine, so we, we don't fully understand Leprosy, uh, essentially what leprosy is, is the skin disease. And what it did, the first thing it will do, it will attack your pain receptors in your body so that you would stop feeling pain. So you didn't really know what's going on. And then this disease would begin to attack your flesh and start eating your skins and creating all these sores all over your body. And as this disease progressed, it will begin to attack your limbs. And because your pain receptors are gone, you could go to bed one night and then wake up with a limb missing. Because you just had no idea how bad it really was. Uh, leprosy is a horrific disease. So, so these lepers, they, they suffer this physical condition. But they also are suffering just who they are as a human. Not only do they have this physical condition, but now they're treated as outcasts. If you had a job, too bad. If you had a family and kids, oh well, you're now an exile. You've got to live outside the camp. 
Leprosy was so bad that even in the Bible, Leviticus 13 and 14 are two whole chapters dedicated for those who had leprosy. Pastor Derek read the more of the context there of Leviticus earlier. You're probably like, man, why are we reading about all this? This is why. But Leviticus 13.45, I just want to highlight that one more time. So, so here, just listen to, to what this person will be going through. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let their hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Essentially, what leprosy did, it made you die in many deaths. A death to your family, a death to your job, a death to your life, before it would ultimately kill you. Death took your joy, peace, life, and in exchange gave you suffering, agony, and shame. So we get this interaction now with this leper who comes to Jesus. We really don't know who this guy is. We don't know his name. We don't know how long he's had leprosy. Mark wants our attention to be strictly on Jesus. But, but clearly this leopard has heard about Jesus. As Jesus has been going to town, to town, to town, doing ministry. He's probably heard of Jesus. Man, there's this guy who, who heals with authority. Who speaks with authority. He's doing all these miraculous things. And it's like the leopard knows there's something about Jesus. Then the leper encounters Jesus, and his only response is to go to Jesus. And it, Scripture tells us that he kneels before him. He gets in the dirt before Jesus. Showing the leper's humility as he bows down to the feet of the Savior. And as the leper's bowing down, I can imagine However long he's had leprosy, the, the amount of just agony he's been through. And out of all the words the leper could say, this is all he could think. This is all he says in Mark 1.40. Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper believed that Jesus had the power and the authority to heal him. He says, you can make me clean. I, I, I just think the humility of the leper is key to understanding what's going on here. The, 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 the leper's not saying, Jesus, you owe it to me. I, I've been kicked out of the camp. I lost my family. I lost my job. I, I, I don't, I'm in exile. I'm in agony. I'm in pain. You, I deserve to be healed. No, no, no. He's like, Jesus, if you will. You can make me clean. And as that leper bows down before Jesus in the eyes of culture, this action is completely offensive. The, le the leper here should never have had the audacity to approach Jesus. But what's so interesting, so interesting of the leopard's offensive action approaching Jesus is that actually Jesus enacts an even more scandalous way. Let's look at verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, 
I will be clean. And in that moment, the full display of Jesus' mercy and compassion is on display. As the leper just knelt before Jesus, Jesus could have just turned away, saying, Ew, you deplorable, get, get away from me. But Jesus turns to him. And I just love the details Mark gives us. Because notice, all we know about the leper is that he knelt before Jesus. But it was Jesus who turned to him, who walked to him, and then stretched out his hand to touch him. It was Jesus who touched the leper. Mark is being very clear here that Jesus touched him. We know by the Levitical law, no one's supposed to touch a leper. So why does he? Why does Jesus touch the leper? It's as if Jesus, as he finally touches the leper, and this, this leper finally receives the touch of a human for our, however many years, he is now being welcomed back. Welcome back to life. Welcome back to community. Welcome back into the town. For you have been touched and you have been healed. I think what this also shows is the, the basic necessity of human touch. We know Jesus could have healed him with his words. We've seen that done. Jesus is using his power of his words to heal, but yet he wants to touch the leper. We all view the basic necessity of touch differently. I get that. If you're around me any extended period of time, I will eventually try to find a way to get a hug. Like I, That's just who I am. And don't be surprised if you see me hugging a stop sign. Like That's just who I am. It's just the way I am. But some of, some of you just like maybe don't prefer hugs and prefer that physical touch, and that, that's okay. But I think, like, as we, as we get back to the, just the basic necessity, after having a long day, maybe at work or a difficult day at home, like, you're just waiting to come home and to get a hug from your spouse or your kids. It just, it's just good. You just got bad news. And you're just sitting there, and that friend comes on beside you and just puts their hand on your shoulder. They don't say anything. They just, they just want you to know that they're there for you. But like when your kid is just crying, and, and the only way you know how to respond is just to hold them and to soothe them. This, this idea of Jesus reaching across these cultural and these weird taboo ways of touching the leper just shows uh, just this lavish love that Jesus has for the leper. And then Jesus goes on to say, I will be clean. And there in verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Mark is making it clear that there was this immediate healing. The waiting is over. Typically, if you try to clean something filthy, uh, you, you take a clean rag. Although the, the spot you're cleaning is now clean, the rag is contaminated. But that's not what happens to Jesus. Jesus touches the filthy. Jesus is not contaminated. He's not now made filthy. But the filthy is made clean by the touch of Christ. 
See, church, this interaction with the leper is much more than a man with a skin disease, but this interaction with the leper is the story of our lives. For we are the spiritual lepers. We are the ones who have this filthy disease, a disease that is distorting our mind, our heart, our soul, that has just ravished us. We are deplorable. We are filthy because of our sin. And we must humbly bow down before Jesus. For it is only by the blood-cleansing power that was shed on the cross that we can be cleansed. Church, that is our gospel truth this morning. Do you see the necessity of repentance? To turning away from the filth in your life and to run to the cross of Christ. Church, may we not be a people to forget that blood cleansing power for our own lives, for our families, for our children, for our neighbors, our co workers, for that that what cleanses us and our filthiness. Jesus does this amazing thing. He heals this leper in the most miraculous way. And then the most interesting turn of events takes place. Point three Jesus becomes the outcast. Verse 43 and 44. And Jesus sternly charged him. And sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So right after Jesus heals this leper, he immediately gives two commands to him. The first command that we see is that he tells the leper, Say nothing. Be silent. It's first command. Second command is then go to the priest, offer your cleansing of what Moses has asked and commanded. And that's actually our scripture reading that we read in Leviticus 13 and 14 moments ago. So that first command, Jesus tells the leper to stay silent. Now, now this is actually not the first time in Mark that we see Jesus gives a, com- a command of silence after a miracle. Going back to Mark 1, 34, Jesus actually commands the demons to be silent and not to speak. But this is actually the first time in Mark that Jesus commands a silence in this way. Why, why is Jesus asking this leper to stay silent? Well, I, it's connected back where we started. It's connected back to the desolate place. Jesus understands that if word got around in these towns that, that this leper who was in exile, who was, in, who was just outside the city, has been brought back in, the towns would begin to bombard him. That, that the ministry could not continue to go forward because people would just be waiting to see miraculous signs and wonders. It's kind of like a celebrity. Like they can't go to the grocery store to just buy milk and eggs, right? Like everybody wants your autograph, wants your picture. Like that, that would be Jesus. Like he, he would not have any room to do his mission. And then that second command that Jesus gives is it's quite interesting. 
Jesus says to the man, essentially, I want you to obey the Levitical law to do the proper uh, cleansing for yourself. And what this is actually doing is playing in the bigger narrative of what Jesus came to do. Actually, in Matthew 5, 17, it tells us that Jesus came to not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus is still showing his honor and respect to the old covenant law, to the old law, showing that this is the way that my people have been called to live. So again, Jesus is coming to fulfill this law. So, so we've got these two, these two commands. And, and on the surface level, they, they look to be fairly simple, right? Just, just hey, be silent and just do the proper uh, ceremony that Moses has commanded. And then what does the leper do? Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. So, so here we go. We have this, this merciful and compassionate act of Jesus. And you think that the leper would be like, you know, I'm going to fully obey everything now, Jesus. And then the first thing he does is immediately disobeys Jesus. It took no time for the leper to go and to tell everybody, for he talked freely about this healing. Now, now we don't know what he did as far as if he obeyed Jesus with the Levitical law, but we know that he broke this command by disobeying Jesus, for he was not silent. So it's almost easy to be like, man, what was the left thinking? But it kind of sounds a little familiar. The leper's actually disobedience to Jesus of the simple command to be silent is actually the picture of all of our hearts, right? We know what God has called us to do. We know what God's word has, has challenged us and says to live a life of, of godliness and to pursue a life of holiness. But yet we just quickly turn and disobey. We, we find our sin so, so captivating at times. Because how easy it is, like something's on television and, and some, some scene comes on and you're like, ah, maybe I'll just close one eye and then just not fully watch it. Or like, or there's a, some issues going on with, with a kid, and then you're like, you know, I'd rather read my book or work around the house and then address this issue. You're up late all night, one night, you got your laptop open, you, you start entering into websites that you know God does not want you to be in. Where we, we have taken the simple ways of life and turned them simple. Just as how the leper was just a simple command of being silent. But just like all sin, sin has consequences. And for the leper, his sin of disobeying Jesus will be quite significant. Look at verse 45. So that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. But the thing, the reason why Jesus wanted him to be silent was because he knew that his mission would come to a halt. That if he entered into the town, the towns would just swarm him. So now he can no longer openly enter the town. 
He has to go to the outside. He has to go to the desolate places then to preach the gospel. The leper had the opportunity to obey Jesus, but he chose not to. He chose to not be silent. I mean, could it be that the leper had all these years without talking to someone, that he was just eager to finally say something to someone? Possibly. Uh, could it be that this man who has yet to be touched by another human in however many years was just eager to shake someone's hand or, or get a hug? Uh, possibly. But, but here, here's the thing. Our selfish desires, whether good or bad, does not give an excuse to disobey Jesus and what he has called us in his word. text tells us that Jesus was pushed out in the desolate place, outside the city. And, and there it is, the exchange. We started with the leper outside the city, and now we're ending our text with the leper inside the city. And we started with Jesus on the inside, but now Jesus has been kicked out. He has now been pushed out into the desolate places. Jesus has now become the outcast. But church, isn't that exactly what happened to Christ upon the cross? Where we, as these spiritual lepers, Christ was pushed out of those city gates to be placed upon Calvary's heel. Where upon that cross, as he was on that cursed tree, he was rejected so that we may be accepted. And upon that cursed tree, Christ was forsaken so that we may be welcomed. And as Christ was upon that cursed tree, he was abandoned so that we may be found. So that for all of those who repent and believe in Jesus will be brought back. Brought back into the presence of God. And that's that song that we sing here at Sunbury City Church. Once you're in me, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. This morning you may feel as if you are unlovable. It seems as if you are ever have the ability to feel clean inside or cleanse. You, you look back on your life and you see failure after failure after failure. Hear this. Jesus will heal you and cleanse you for nothing is greater than the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. As that hymn goes, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Church, may we rejoice. For if you are in Christ this morning, you were lost, you were the outcast, you were the filthy, deplorable, but now by the bloodshed of Christ, been brought back in. And may we rejoice and worship Him for all eternity. For we are now found. For all of those who are in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word goes beyond what we would call bare horse. 
For it makes no sense that the outcasts, the filthy, can be brought in. But as we are reminded by Christ that he was alienated upon the cross so that we may be brought back in. Father, I pray that as, as we saw this morning, may our hearts be softened to Jesus and our hearts grow in greater love the work that he has done for us, so much so that we will just be eager to pursue you and the mission that you have called us to do, which is to make your glory known by preaching your gospel to all peoples. Father, may this morning be all for your glory. In your son's name, amen.